Welcome, this is Chris Adams, and we're back with Chan and Korea, and uh, we're on the unnamed podcast. Hopefully that sounded like a, an official podcast introduction. I don't know, I can't bullshit for that long. What's going on, brother? Hey, what's up, buddy? Oh, the same old shit, man. Just, uh, you know, sitting around on the day off, tweaking with calls, and being happy the kids are at school. <laughs> you aren't lying. Dude, it's nice yeah. to actually have quiet. Yeah, I think these breaks are getting out of control with how long they're giving them out of school. <laughs> well, I got used to it because, you know, I didn't have to do any prep at night. Like, every night, the routine is I have to get their lunches ready, sign their folders, acknowledge that I read whatever nonsense that I'm supposed to read. You know, pretty much be a parent and stuff, or at least appear to be a parent. And uh, I got pretty relaxed you know just doing a normal bedtime and then last night i was like oh crap i have 30 minutes of prep work before i can do anything else to get them ready for the morning isn't it funny how that scramble happens just out of nowhere because you realize everything that you haven't done for because it seems like they've been out of school for like three and a half years oh, i know man for christmas and they're so grumpy they're so pissed off this morning or yesterday uh-huh. morning. yeah yeah, like, it's a it's a mixed case of emotions at the house because they're upset that they're going back to school and I'm ready to throw a party that they're going back to school. <laughs> Dude, it's ridiculous. It, uh, I don't know. It's just like prison syndrome, you know. They're all three of them are in the house and uh, confined space, and they're all about to murder each other. You know, we're having blood sport go on back here in the living room, and now I got to send them to school and hope that they don't kill somebody. Boredom, I'm telling you, that's what it is. Well, they've been training, you know? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) You take them out of their normal environment, and it's like pure chaos. Dude, it's crazy. So, you you just got back from Arkansas? I did. Yep, I got um, one of my customers. We've been talking about it since last year, and it's just so hard to hammer out a date to, you know, go on a trip out of state. And so we talked more and more over the summer and we put together some dates to get up there to uh, Cypress Run there in, I can't think of the name of the town now, but they're about 45 minutes outside of Stuttgart. And so it was absolutely a bucket list hunt and trip and experience. I've never even been to Arkansas until that trip. And it's just a totally different experience of what I'm used to here. And going to a hunting club because i've been to plenty of clubs i've gone and made calls for different clubs and it's it's almost like a five-star resort when you get there but what just blew me away was how open and just nice everybody was from the minute we got into the gate you know you normally got to get to know people before you start getting into a whole lot of conversation with them five minutes with this group of guys and it's like you've known them for years so it was a awesome, awesome trip. I'll be back there next year too. So it it was definitely an experience. Nice, and you actually uh, got to see ducks for like the first time in months. So that's probably nice. I'm telling you, we hadn't had hardly anything down here. So we got up there. It was a nine hour drive, which wasn't fun. We ended up getting a late leave out of gate on Thursday. I think we ended up rolling in there about 1.30 in the morning because it rained the entire drive up there. But uh, I hunted that morning, 
and it was raining even in the morning, a lot of fog. So it wasn't great that first morning, but it was still more birds than I'd seen down here. And uh, one of the craziest things for me, which is just completely backwards from what we hunt down here, is they were saying tomorrow's going to be good because it's going to be a lot of sunshine. So a bluebird day down here is not good for us. We just we don't have the cover. We're not in you know flooded cypress trees. Yeah, that timber, man. That sun is nice. They can see all the decoys. And it's crazy. And I was like, "So you guys hope for this?" Like, There's days when we get a bluebird day, we may not even go hunt because you just, unless you got a heavy wind and a whole lot of cover, you're not going to have a very good day. And I've never seen birds just keep dropping into a hole like that in my life and in the blind is something out of this world i mean three-story duck blind they got a kitchen in there they've got an oven they got a refrigerator there's a tv in a lounge area that's the up into the bottom of it that's the instagram facebook famous like taj mahal blind isn't it it is yeah so when you get out there you got like a two-minute boat ride out through there when you pull into the bottom of the blind, it's like a four-car garage. I mean, you pull up into the back of it, you get out, and then there's three different levels. So I hunted down in what they call the hole uh, with a guy named Stevie, and he's they got the dog holes down there. The dogs are, every one of them that hunted are awesome. I mean, they're no whining, no movement. You wouldn't even know they were there. And uh, then they have a little satellite blind off to the side of the big blind. And as soon as those birds started coming in Saturday, I mean, it was awesome just getting to experience it. They come in, and for the most part, by the time they're in that hole, they're not getting out the way they drop in there. Oh, yeah, that's the good thing about timber, man. No, it was crazy. So beat them up good Saturday. It's just a different experience, you know. There, there's a toilet in the blind, the bathroom. <laughs> never. Like, when we have breakfast in the blind down here, it's somebody's got a propane grill on the front of the boat. You know, they got a full oven set up in there and a full size refrigerator. So it's, it was the most spoiled I have ever been on a hunt. <laughs> Man, Sunday, I, I. Back when I was doing that, the back when I was doing the TV show, I always had this idea to. Uh, get out of pure hunting tv and make this uh show where we went around to blinds just like this and you remember mtv cribs yeah freaking blinds with a z man and just go out there and check out these awesome blinds and show you know because people put a lot of time and effort and you know money into these blinds and who wouldn't be proud of it i i don't know if you'd ever find one I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of just, you know, spectacular blinds out there. But the history behind this one, and that was one of the coolest things that I got to do. Over the summer, uh, somebody cut one of the limbs off of the blind and mailed it to me. And I got the wood cut down into the blanks and stabilized. So the blind went up in 2001. And there's, you know, just with me being there, there's three generations a family hunting that blind together so the memories that they've had in that blind you know you can't even you couldn't put it in a book and i got to make them some calls with the wood off of that blind that they've been hunting out of for that long 
and that was, you know, just over the top special for me to even be able to do that for them. But what was awesome is started turning these blanks, and everyone I've turned, there's BBs in the wood from that limb getting hit over the years. That's crazy. Yeah. And so just seeing the looks on their faces, handing them those calls, you know, that's, that's when it comes out. It's more than just a hunting tool at that point, you know. And that's the whole reason that I got into this in the first place. It's every time they grab that call, that's a rush of memories, you know. It's well, yeah. Something that's going to get passed down. And that you got to think of all the freaking things that that limb has seen, and now that it's a call, you know, how much more it's going to see throughout its lifetime. It's just, it continues, you know. It's really pe- cool piece of, you know, it's art, but it's history at the same time. I've gotten to do a lot of really cool calls with some really exotic materials, but getting to do stuff like that, that's, you know, just one of those things, just getting to hand it to them. And even though I only got to, you know, spend three mornings in that blind, you can feel how close-knit that group is, just the stuff that they've gotten to experience together, the relationships that they have. And you couldn't hunt or ask for a weekend with a better group of guys. And the, the lodge is out of this world. It's crazy just being up there. It, it spoiled you. I mean, the Sunday, I couldn't find my waders in the morning. I just stopped looking for my one out there in freaking tennis shoes and sweatpants. Because you never even had to worry about getting wet? No, I stepped off a boat and into a the blind you know sat in a chair <laughs> you're like i don't even know what this is right now no and that's what i was telling i said man at home it's a grind we get up at you know three in the morning we go cut cane and we get out there in the boat we gotta we build our cover while we're out there it's it's just a totally different world but it, when you go on trips like that you kind of never really know what to expect i've seen you know tons of pictures of the blind and Tim, who's the one that invited me up there, he's a you know awesome, awesome guy. I've been dealing with him for a while now because he's got a bunch of my calls, and he sent me pictures of it from their hunts and stuff. So I knew it was going to be some lights out shooting that the ducks were in there. But when you're around a group of guys that just make you feel like you're at home, that just makes the trip, you know. Oh and yeah, that, that atmosphere, just... man. Oh, absolutely. And then being around dogs that actually know what they're doing. <laughs> That alone, Stevie, he's the one that works with the dogs up there. And we were down there, what they call the hole with him. So we were on the first level. Then the second level, they've got, you know, a row of chairs set up. Everybody's kind of got their own spots where they always hunt because they hunt together so much. And then the crow's nest up in the very top. It's just crazy going up there and seeing that vantage point when you're shooting a duck. For me, you know, it's crazy to be aiming my gun down on a duck that's lighting into the decoys instead of shooting up well yeah and then you almost get you know the duck's perspective of them going through the trees and you know dive bombing into the decoys and you're up that high and you're like hey you know this is what the spread actually looks like from you know 40 feet up 50 feet up oh and it's crazy just seeing that many mallards i mean we get a, a bunch of mixed bags of birds down here with two areas i hunt and we don't have mallard numbers like that in the areas that I hunt anyway. I mean, don't get me wrong, places in Texas where you can go shoot a whole bunch of greenheads. 
But just seeing them come in like that, I tell you right now, I didn't want to leave Sunday after we got out of there. I definitely didn't want to get back on the road for that long. But it was just an awesome experience getting to go check out R&T, getting to go check out Max. Uh, Ronnie was up there, so I got to hook up with Ronnie on <laughs> Saturday. He showed us around. And then uh, Ronnie actually came over there with us Saturday. He stayed the night with us, and he hunted Sunday. So it was cool getting to hunt with Ronnie, too. Ronnie Turner, right? Yeah. He's yeah, out of control. Yeah. <laughs> He's out of control, man. He did good, though. He didn't get us all kicked out of there or nothing. Well, I'm sure it was borderline. You mean kicked out of any of the places that you're talking about that he went with you, right? Yeah, anywhere you go with Ronnie. <laughs> I know uh, he took me by to meet Jim Stinson, and that was awesome. Jim had a call that Alvin had made for him that he had ran in the world, like I think it was 89 or something like that. I took pictures with it. But uh, he's got the liquor store there in town, and he's the mayor. <laughs> and that would just you know if you could sit and just listen to him talk for ever because that was exciting for me and then I think one of the coolest parts of the trip aside from you know making calls they had some of their boys out there with them they were 9 through 12 I believe and uh, those boys because I had a, a box of calls that I was bringing up there for Tim that I was waiting to deliver them to him in person those boys were running those calls and just watching them i mean they were hooked they did not want to put those calls down so i ended up i gave each of them a call and you'd have thought that i gave those boys a lamborghini just how excited they got <laughs> and i was working with them a bit and then ronnie was working with them and i'll tell you what by within 24 hours those two boys went from sounding like kazoos so one of them was actually out in the blind calling that very next day just how quick they progressed and how excited they were one of their dads texted me yesterday he's back at work and he said his boy was sending them videos all day of him out there running that call on the back porch but i don't think they i'm pretty sure they slept with those calls i don't think they stopped running them <laughs> so you're out here on this trip, you're seeing all this crazy stuff, do you ever just stop and be like, dude, what is this life? How how did I get here from freaking working at, you know, what was it, Uverse or Mediacom, you said? One of, something. AT&T. Uh, AT&T, yeah, up here in Missouri, it's like all mixed up, but yeah. Do you ever just think of like, dude, what in the hell is this life? Like, how how did I go from that to that? It's just awesome, right? See, and I get asked all the time, almost any time that I'm interacting with people or I'm out in a setting like that, I have people ask, well, how did you end up doing this all the time? And it's always kind of the same story just because it's just the timeline of how things played out. But I, and I told you, we've talked about it. He just told me whenever I was at AT&T that, you know, two years down the road from when I left there that I'd be a full-time call maker, I'd have laughed at you because I had zero intention of even making a duck call then i never that's nothing that ever crossed my mind but that moment and that's what i told him then i said it's it's stuff like this that it's so crazy that right now i get to say i'm working it doesn't feel like work there's days when it absolutely is work i know we talked about that last time oh yeah man the grind 
when the lathe's not moving, I, I don't have, you know, a CNC line or something that's just a constant uh, flow of income. So if I'm not working, I'm not making money. But getting to go out there and stuff like making the calls off of that blind and getting to see those little boys running around with those calls, there's nothing more satisfying to be able to say that that's my job. There's nothing I've found that gives me that fulfillment of feeling like what I'm doing every single day is something that I thoroughly enjoy, I'm passionate about, and it's something that means something to somebody that's receiving it. I'm not going and, you know, punching a clock and waiting for a check to hit the bank. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That alone is worth more than that's one of those things I've had the thought of going back to the corporate world I don't know how many times over the last two years because there's a different kind of stress that comes with being self-employed but for me my sanity and loving what I do even if I never make what I used to make in the corporate world I can't put a price on my happiness being around with my kids and my family and getting to do something that I love doing every single day you can't put a dollar amount on that. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree, man. If you're in that situation of where you can do it, it's, I, you know, and people hear these stories and they see the pictures and stuff like that, and everybody's like, man, I want that. I want that, I want that. You know, everybody would tell me that when I was doing the TV show. Man, I can't believe, you know, you're hunting for a living and filming that. People don't, you know, it's cool to do that stuff, but... People don't understand the amount of stress that comes with that stuff, man. Because I'm sure there's times where you just no, yeah. There's there's way more hours put in the day than I ever spent. You know, now I work a full time job and I mess around with calls here and there. But when it was full time, man, I was working twice as much as I do now. You never get to turn it off. And one of the things I know we had talked about just having that work life balance is incredibly difficult when you're self employed. It's hard to not look at your phone. It's hard to not respond to messages. It's hard to not be in the shop. Uh, just when you you don't have that guarantee that you know this amount of money is coming into my account on this day, regardless, it's hard to unplug. Uh, and that's one of the things that I set for a goal for myself going into this year is to find more of a work-life balance, put boundaries on the amount of time I allow myself to spend in the shop and it is difficult. It's hard to be in the house because there's a difference in being physically present and being mentally present. Yep. And it, before I had a problem with, you know, I would be there for stuff, but I'm on my phone or I'm thinking about being in a shop. So I wasn't, I wasn't there any more than just physically being there because mentally I was doing something else dude i know i uh you know in my first marriage that was the biggest you know thing i got was when i was doing all that stuff was you know you're always on your phone your phone is always going off last night the girl said last night she's like i hate that your phone goes off all night long and you can just sit there and snore right through it and i was like i can't turn it on silent you know because i wake up at 4 30 in the morning to go work but you know, like that, it, it, my phone is just constantly going off, and I get to the point now. You know, I just put it away for the day, but uh, and I just let it go off if people are trying to get a hold of me. That's you know tough, but uh, I learned that earlier on because I was 
always on my phone and it was always work related i was never just goofing off and doing you know i was always talking to different people and people were blowing up the number and that's just you know it was tough it was tough and that was always the biggest complaint was how much i was on my phone see and i'm i've been on both sides of it so i've had a previous marriage as well too and i've got a nine-year-old little girl from my previous marriage and when she was born i was so focused on my career and advancing and continuing to move up in the company i would leave for work at you know five o'clock in the morning i wouldn't get home till nine or ten o'clock at night so she was asleep when i left and she was asleep when i got home aside from the weekends that was really the only time i got to spend any time with my kid from the time she was born until you know she was six when i left that job and that is one of the most difficult things because especially in those years you know i'd get home and if she was awake you know i'd go to grab her and she's reaching for her mom and that'll crush you yeah and that's when it just hit me because i've got a three-year-old little boy with my wife and whenever she found out she was pregnant that was the day that i just i knew you can't do this shit again exactly you don't want to make the same mistakes and it's hard to call the mistake because you know you're going to work to provide for your family but at the same time it's do you work to live or do you live to work exactly exactly man and so when she found out she was pregnant i i knew in the back of my head that minute that i was going to be having a career change i didn't know ever in a million years that it would lead me to where i'm at right now but i'm able to pick my son up from his daycare school every day and we spend time every single day together before my wife gets home i have the freedom to you know get to his events that are going on i'm there every night tucking him in whenever he lays down and goes to bed i get to spend a whole lot more time with my daughter now whenever she's with me and getting to take them to do things you can't put a dollar amount on that because you don't get that time back with them Exactly, man. At the man. end of the day, it's gone before you know it, you know? Well, heck they yeah. They get into being teenagers and adults. And <laughs> yeah, they I don't even want to talk to you. Kid, <laughs> yeah. When I was a kid, my dad was self-employed, and he worked constantly. And I remember being that kid just waiting for my dad to pull into the driveway, you know, with a baseball glove or a football, wanting to hang out with my dad, and he'd be exhausted. And being an adult now, I understand it, but when you're a kid, all you want is that time. And I couldn't justify a dollar amount for my time with my kids anymore. Yep. But it's stressful, just like you were saying. I mean, when you get to where you're paying bills and you don't have any kind of stability, and my wife's understanding too, because this has taken off for me a million times quicker than I ever expected it to. You know, it was almost overnight. I never in a million years expected people to want my calls the way that they have. They even they even wanted an original today. I saw, <laughs> I saw an old foul mouth that somebody was oh, auctioning off today. Yeah, yeah, somebody's doing a waffle on a foul mouth today. I was like, oh shit, that's a that's throwback. Funny. Yeah, it's it's crazy when I see you don't <laughs> see them very often. Uh, I'm pretty sure Jimmy Wooten owns almost all of them. They're still <laughs> running around out there. Jimmy's been one of my best customers <laughs> since the very beginning. I mean, I was just starting to sell them. You know, when we talked about before, some of those calls that you wish you could take back, he won't even let me read through them. But 
Jimmy's one of the best guys you'll ever meet, too. He's actually, I found out that it's pronounced El Dorado, Arkansas, not El Dorado, like everybody in Texas pronounces that word. (laughs) There was a few of the guys that were up there at the club that are from that area. So, yeah, I sing calls to El Dorado all the time. They all jumped on me quick to let me know it's El Dorado. We have a a town here in Missouri that I go to almost daily, two or three times a, a month. It's Versailles. And people in Missouri call it Versailles, like, you know, like they've never read a book before. But it's Versailles, like the city in France. <laughs> it drives me nuts. And if you go up there, they call it Versailles. I'm like, Jesus, age. Oh, it's funny. I mean, we've got roads down here that are that same way. We have a road called Kirkendall. There's no R in the spelling of this road. It's K-U-Y-K-E-N-D-A-H-L. That is some so, Cajun-ass shit if I've ever heard it. Yeah, I don't know where everybody got the R from, but it's funny whenever you have somebody that's not familiar with the area and they'll call you and say, yeah, I'm on Kukendall. <laughs> you start <laughs> laughing. But you know where they're at. Right, right, right. Keep going down the road another three miles. You hit the tracks. You've gone too far. <laughs> right. But yeah, no, I never expected it to take off the way it has. But being, you know, I'm... I'm trying to think long term with this and that's where you start thinking about things like I, I don't want to get into CNC line just because it's so the the call market is such a finicky one you've got to be so cautious not to oversaturate you know and then <clears throat> what does this do to value well and it's then so hard. it takes away so much of the art too being a call maker it's just like instead of uh instead of making calls anymore i mean everybody that does cnc there's no knock on them there because they came up with every single part that you know goes to that but i don't know i haven't talked to really michael about it a lot but i'm sure sometimes he feels like a call assembler rather than a maker when he's messing with his cnc runs and that just it i mean if you want to make money i guess some somehow you can do that that's a strategy but to me it has no appeal whatsoever and it's not something that, the way I look at it, it's kind of twofold. It, you don't see a lot of collectible CNC calls. Oh, no. I mean, you got, RG's got a different small batch out every other Wednesday. Well, and the only ones that are collectible of any CNC thing, you know, that's recent is if it was saw cut or not. Oh, my gosh, this one was actually hand cut, you know, like. Right, where they just CNC the tenon and then it's still jigged by hand. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, that's one of the, the few valuable, you know, CNC calls that are recent. But see, and then on the other side of it, because I can see both, both, you know, vantage points. So you've got that part, which is what shies me away from it personally, is I don't want to spend my day stuffing corks and reeds into tenons and tuning calls and dropping them in a box all day. I don't want to become an assembly line, you know. But at the same time, I hear all the time, this call's too pretty to hunt. And I do a lot of, you know, what people say that it's going to be a lanyard call for them, which, you know, your straight grain woods that are yeah, yeah, absolutely. total properties. So I do a bunch of those too. You do a bunch of cocoa, you do a bunch of ABW, and those get just as boring when you're doing the same thing over and over and over again. So you kind of get to where... It's okay. If you do a CNC line, you've got the advantage of, you know, that the people that are wanting to call for their lanyard, 
they can get them on there. Not just that, I can do acrylic calls without having to turn acrylic. <laughs> That's a huge selling point for me because I hate turning acrylic. <laughs> but it's one of those things. I mean, what does it do for you long term? How many do you do? Like some guys do really well at it. But I think we talked about it last time too. There's very few call makers out there, I think, that do it full time as it is. And then how many of them have a solid CNC line and they're pumping out customs? I mean, you only have two arms. You can't be tuning CNC calls all day and doing customs. I know Bobby Hayes does it. Uh, Stelsner Dom. does it. Stelsner. Dude, uh, but that dude's something else. That guy, like you, if you look at Stelsner and the amount of work that he does that doesn't even broadcast with every different other call makers like there's a lot of guts that come out of Stelsner's shop and you would think oh, that yeah. this guy has a monster facility dude he's running it out of a little bitty tiny shop and he'll be the first one to say it that it's crazy and Sam he commented I think because Mingo is full time now too yep and I because I, Mingo is an awesome guy him and I talk all the time and I told him I said congratulations on you know making that jump I know, it's, I know how scary it is and well, I it, think he's made about three calls since then. <laughs> well, and I told him, I said, be careful with the books because they can drain you. I mean, but at the same time, that was something else we had talked about last time, too. You don't want to just say, like, the way Ernie does it, that works for Ernie because it's a hobby for him and he gets to enjoy every bit of it, you know? It's hard to say, I'm going to do this full time, but I'm only going to put out calls and sell the ones that, I want to make and not take in orders. You don't want to do a disservice to anybody either. It, and that's the, the stresses that come with doing this stuff. Aside from just the income piece of it, it's you're trying to please everybody as best you can. You don't want to, you know, give anybody the impression that they're not important enough for your time. But I don't have other employees. I'm the only employee. I'm the shipping department, which the shipping department's about to get fired right now. They're so behind. Yeah, your wife is and a shipping department. <laughs> I can't even blame her because she's the one. She'll come into the shop and she's grabbing calls, telling me, make a list of where these need to go because I'm just nice. trying to get caught up. If you fall behind, trying to get caught back up is like a never-ending tunnel. Bro, it's uh, it's the mailbox or to the, the post office. I print everything on the printer, tape it all on the boxes, and I go like once or twice a week, and that's it. See, I don't. Why don't you do click and ship? Have you tried that? Yeah, am I? I don't know. I I feel more comfortable dropping it there. I I already have a high distrust for the postal service, and that's not knocking anybody. That's a postal worker. It's just that when you put that much, I'm gonna tell Eric you said that. I know, right? He'll probably kill me. But uh, (laughs) it's just one less hand to exchange. You know. No, and I get that, too, because the other piece of it is I've had, I want to say, four or five calls now go rogue. On yep. Me. And I talked to a lot of their call makers, like, I've never had one get lost. Like, man, I had one of the Easter calls that I did leave here, and it wound up on my neighbor's front porch that it was missing for, like, I want to say a month or two. And my neighbors came, and they had called me told me they found it underneath the table on their front porch. So I don't <laughs> know if the postal carrier dropped it walking over there or what, but there was no tracking on it other than it had been accepted. So 
I didn't know what to. When it's been accepted, you can't really do anything. Oh yeah, you got and insurance on it for fifty bucks. I had a close to covering it. I had three go rogue, three customs go rogue out of one freaking box. And then uh, I had insurance on it, thank God, and I insured it for more because it was three. And it took, I don't know, like 30-something days, 40 days to get the money back out of it. And uh, they sent me the three call bags. They're like, oh, we didn't find the calls, but we found all three call bags. I was like, get the hell out of here. Are you kidding me? They must have a duck hunter working there. Uh, yeah, they sure as hell do. It's those flat rate boxes. So ever since then, I took my company name off my boxes. When I print labels, I make sure to put my personal name on it now. Like, I do the same thing. Yeah. Mine. Yeah, I was having a lot more problems. I, I think I've lost like four packages total, which in five years isn't that bad, but it was all in the first two years. And then after that, I quit using my name. Yeah, see, and I mail so many calls out. I've got to make sure I get my uh, carrier a gift for every holiday that comes up. Because that poor guy, I'll have, you know, 40, 50 boxes sitting on the front porch oh, God. At, any, at any given time. <laughs> because I typically box and ship out. I try to do at least once a week cause, so it doesn't build up and backlog that quick. But I make anywhere from, you know, two to sometimes five calls a day. I'm just trying to get caught up. So if I let it go all week, I'll be sending out, especially if it's a two-week before I get them out. There's been plenty of times where I've had over 50 calls sitting on the front porch. And I'll see him come up because I've got the motion camera, so it'll go off whenever he's here. And I'll go out there and, you know, help him load them up. But that poor guy, he he already knows. He backs into my driveway every day <laughs> and checks to see if I have packages Bro, that has got to be a tracking nightmare on shipping day. Oh, my God. It is. So when I, whenever I print my labels, I keep the other end of it, and I've got a file cabinet that is just – it used to be organized. I used to have it, you know, by month, and then they were in order the, when they went out so I could locate a tracking number pretty quick. Somebody asked me for one a couple weeks ago, and I made, I'm making them a new call because I – just There's literally no can't find it. It'll take me longer to find that tracking info than it will to just make another call. <laughs> Dude, right before Christmas, I was dumb, and I was trying to mail stuff out, like, I don't know, two days before Christmas, and I dropped four calls in four different boxes and uh, didn't take a picture, didn't save. I never saved the, the receipt or anything like that if I go up and do it in person. I always just snap a picture of the freaking box real quick with all the tracking on there and send them out. So that way I don't have any paperwork. I just have pictures of it. I keep it in a log. I dropped all four of them without doing any of that. And I immediately messaged all four people. I'm like, if it doesn't show up in like a week, let me know. I'll make you another call. I cannot believe that uh, that I just did that. See, and I've done that before too. Like the few times because I order shipping boxes on Amazon just because they're smaller than those flappers boxes and they're crushed proof so i don't have to worry about you know the calls getting smashed on the way there right and it it's just whenever you do ship them that way that and like when i send them to canada or out of the country you can only see the tracking on them up to the point when they leave the country oh, yeah. then you can't see anything anymore yeah i don't like sending out of country i had a dude want me to send something to malta and uh i would love to go to malta i would love to hand deliver it to malta but I'm not going to ship anything overseas. 
Uh, I've done it a few times. I've sent a few to Russia. Uh, I've sent I don't know how many to Canada. Yeah, Canada's not but, as bad. It's a little bit more streamlined. I've sent a couple to Mexico. Uh, but I think Russia's definitely the furthest I've sent them. I think it took like almost two months before it got there. I don't know if it was hung up in customs or what. Probably coming from America. I'd imagine so. I mean, I'm sure that that got... They're probably trying to figure out... Freaking red flag. And then then they open it up in customs and like, oh, holy shit, because they do a lot of hunting over there too. They were like, uh, this is coming home with me. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Russians are yeah, freaking... They take hunting serious. Oh, no, and I seen and heard sound files on some of their calls i mean there's some talented call makers over there too yeah dude over in the middle east those guys are crazy with freaking uh waterfowl hunting yeah they go out in the morning and shoot you know 175 ducks with two people yeah wearing no sidka whatsoever not one yeah. ounce of camo <laughs> <Basketball> on just freaking murdering ducks it's ridiculous it's crazy that would that would be a bucket list hunt. If if I wasn't American, that would be a bucket list hunt for sure. See, that's, I'm gonna uh, hopefully I'm gonna be going to Canada next year because I've been wanting to get a Harlequin for since I was a little kid. And if I got to shoot a Eurasian widgeon, that would just like top it off. But just getting to go see and shoot at these species, it, if a Harlequin duck ever showed up in Texas. They need to examine that thing. You're right. What is mentally like, wrong with this thing? Yeah, it, that dude's been lost for a long time. But we don't, I mean, there's a guy that, I, I don't know if we talked about it or not, he, he releases mandarin wood ducks, so many of them a year. So one of my taxidermists, he had a mandarin in there, going there, a mandarin on the freaking wall. Like, where did that come from? Oh, shot on the river. Dude, what? Yeah, whose pond did you snake that one off of? Right, and the guy that he releases them uh, so many a year. So you could be out there hunting and you may smack a freaking mandarin wood duck. <laughs> it's always my favorite when we go hunting and we uh, have a big old dumb farm goose come in with some honkers or a big old farm duck come in. We shot this one farm duck a couple of years ago. They came in with a group of mallards, and this thing was the damn size. I don't know. It was in between. It was like spec size. It was in between a honker and a mallard. I mean, it was massive. It's pretty, and The funniest part's when you see the pictures of them up on different web pages on groups on Facebook. Anybody know what kind of duck this is? Oh, my dear God. If I see one more juvenile Drake mallard that somebody thinks is a freaking hybrid cross with something else, like... It's ridiculous. It the juvenile Drake Mallard gets everybody. It's freaking brown with a green stripe going down its damn head with an orange bill. The hen has the orange bill, and I'm sure you know there's far more duck experts, but it's a juvenile Drake most of the time. One of the coolest birds that I saw it was actually mounted at the uh, at their club that I was at this weekend. They had a piebald teal. That's crazy. Those things are freaking cool. It, he said that when it came in, it, it looked like a pigeon out there with, I mean, white. It, it is freaking cool. I've never seen one of them. Bro, we're hunting. I, and I said bro again. I think that's the first time in this podcast. But, uh, yeah, we're going to do a bro count. 
Anyway. I think you got a name for the podcast. Right, the bro. <laughs> so, we uh, we were out hunting, I don't know, a couple years ago. We were doing a honker hunt. Strictly honkers. And I don't know, we had five guys, four guys, something like that. And we're one bird away. And it, birds are just doing it perfect. We have a scout, I don't know, like 200 honkers. Nothing big. Just a nice little feed in a field. And they're just trickling in. And, you know, 8 to 12 at a time. Just perfect shooting, dream scenario. Every two minutes, another group comes in. So we're one bird away from finishing uh, what we need for the day. And in comes this group, I don't know, eight, nine, something like that. It's been a couple years. But uh, there's this white lead bird out. And I was like, what in the hell? I was like, because we don't get snows here. Um, we get snows a little further out west, and then we have snows pushed through for two or three days. Every time a monster front comes through in November, first week in November, we get snows. But uh, they don't stay here. So I was like, what is going on? I'm pretty sure that's a freaking snow coming through here. And uh, we're all looking, and it's big. And we're like, what in the hell is this? It's a freaking albino honker. And we have four guys or five guys i can't remember we need one bird there's a group of ten eight nine coming in with this albino honker every single person unloads their gun this honker flies off dies somewhere else i'm sure after taking a thousand bbs to the chest and the ground took probably a thousand bbs because everybody got you know huge and excited over it and uh yeah, we just sat there and laughed. Like, how in the world did everybody miss? You know, I, I know I pulled up on my first shot and just flock shot the dang thing because I was so excited about it. But, uh, yeah, dude, an albino honker, the only one I've ever seen. And uh, we know where the roost is. You know, went and checked it the next couple of days, found nothing. It was crazy. It makes you sick, doesn't it? Dude, how do five people miss this thing? Every single person. We're like, did anybody get that last honker that we needed for the limits? And everybody's like, nope, I shot all three shots towards, at least at this albino. <laughs> We're like, yep, me too. It's crazy, dude. Whenever I was out there this weekend, so there was one solo Drake Mallard that came buzzing in, and he wasn't maybe 25 yards in front of everybody. And I unloaded my gun. I didn't cut a feather. But at, we had right, you know, 19, 20 people in the blind. <laughs> and it sounded like the kickoff to a war back when they were blasting cannons. I mean, yeah. that blind came alive and that bird flew right on out of there. I mean, <laughs> a mile away, people are like, a mile away, people are like, oh my God, they're really getting into them over there. <laughs> I mean, that's a, my buddy that was with me, he just started laughing because we could hear shooting going on in volleys, you know, next to us. Like, they probably think we just, slaughtered them and <laughs> he just flew right on out of there it was funny that there's a few firsts for me on that trip we had another group come in and uh and i'm trying to die over here yeah i know i was doing it earlier we had another group come in and uh i shot at one i went to stick my gun out of the blind more to shoot another one and uh Drake landed in my arms while I was sticking my gun out shooting. I'd never, I heard, watch out! And right in that moment, I mean, just my hand that was on the foregrip of the gun was sticking out. It landed right in the bend in my arm. 
That's freaking and funny. It scared the hell out of me because I didn't, I couldn't see it coming. Man, it just dropped right down in there with me. Well, be happy it was a duck, man. I was watching, I think it was Avian X a couple years ago that they had a uh, a red phantom out, you know, like one of those $60,000 cameras. And this honker came and smashed through the freaking front of that thing. The dude's just laying in the layout blind, and they freaking smoke one, and it cripples up and hits the camera guy in the layout. That's crazy. When I was a little kid, a guy that was hunting with us, he was from Nebraska or something, but I'll never forget. He tried to stick his arms out and catch a Canadian goose. It was a big one. Canada goose. And he tried to one-arm it, and it broke his freaking arm. Really? Yep, snapped it. I mean, just nasty. Yeah, dude. Those. Th- I mean, you got to think that's fifteen, eighteen pounds falling, pretty good speed. Yeah, and they, some of them look like pterodactyls coming out of the sky. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, especially resident ones that aren't migrating that have been there all year long and you know just sit around and eat all day long. Those things are monsters. Yep. Yeah, and it just it snapped his freaking arm. Bent it, his arm was hanging like a door hinge. It's crazy. Yeah, I was like six or seven years old. I was like, all right, note to self, never try and catch a pterodactyl with one arm. Yeah, just let them fall. Just let them mm-hmm. fall. When you can feel the thud when they hit the ground, you know that there's some force behind that bird hidden. Man, we uh we were hunting this grass field this one time that was right off the river. A freaking grass field. I don't know why, but the birds were in it. It was crazy. Um is just a warm day. They were just getting in there off the roost and freaking flying over and eating grass. We're set up on a honker hunt. Think it's all going to be honkers. There's 400 honkers in this field. So we're expecting all that. Well, we see uh, one group of ducks the night before from the scout. I was like, cool, maybe we'll get a bonus duck out of this. It's been a slow duck season. So oh, the day opens up, and I mean, there is a black cloud of mallards just working this field over and over and over and over and we're shooting them as they're coming in stop picking them up as birds are coming in and landing and i mean there's so many freaking mallards coming in we have to stop everybody stop let's count make sure because i feel like we're getting close we're short and we get back to the blinds after separating birds and there's a freaking uh drake sitting on the layout blind and that jumps up and flies off like the craziest thing i've ever seen in a grass field it's just it's wild when you were talking about uh the drake falling into your arms i thought you meant like a live one so oh he wasn't dead well you know what i mean a non non crippled yeah. one yeah no he was crippled i mean i i tell you what that finisher i've always wrung the necks or bit the head and that finisher is a handy little tool I was on the fence about it for a long time when I first started seeing them just because I'd be that guy that ended up impaling myself with it, hanging it from my lanyard. <laughs> right. But I just think it's a job done quick. I just try to shoot them in the face the first time so I don't have to worry about it. I try that too. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to sit here and pretend <laughs> I don't shoot feet too. <laughs> I shoot anything. We just, I already told you the albino honker story, so we know that that's not true. <laughs> I'll be the first one to admit it, when you see these shooting below or under them and you try and correct on the second and third shot it, if I'm shooting a third time I got like a 20% kill rate well my That's favorite way it goes. is uh, when you're in a big group and you have the left side of the blind the right side of the blind middle you know you're supposed to generally take 
a certain side of the blind. That's just kind of the rule. So you're not, you know, not everybody shooting the lead bird. But we've all been hunting right. together so long that everybody is not going for the lead bird. And everybody's shooting for the most difficult freaking shot so they can come through and work towards, you know, hardest to easiest shot. <laughs> so you always pull up and you, you know, put the bead on the freaking furthest away or, you know, the one that's manageable furthest away, the smartest shot that's not the easiest. And that bird falls. I, we always shoot, the, everybody's shooting the same damn bird because we're so trained to not take the easy shot. See, and that's, it's always the same way with, you know, you typically hunt with the same guys a lot. Like, it's usually me and then two of my buddies that we hunt together all the time. And it's the same thing. I mean, you get set up out there and you've got your side. That was one of the craziest things for me. I've never hunted in a group of 20. Yeah, that's crazy. Line before and three levels, you know. So when being on the bottom, you don't know what the guys above you or shooting at so there's no telling who shoots what out there I mean oh, you know yeah. when you pull the trigger if you hit the bird but like I, just, I got a widgeon while I was out there that dude got shot like three times <laughs> by three different people you're like banned banned that one's mine I shot it I swear not one of these other 25 people <laughs> we're out there and some of those guys man they're characters I'll have you laughing the whole time you're out there and you know, group comes in. I think it was like one or two ducks, and he got waxed. And I hear, "Bring me my duck. You better have both its feet." <laughs> <laughs> I almost fell over laughing. But you know, that's the kind of that's the hunts that you hope for, where you're having a good time, whether there's birds or not. I mean, the memories you make when you're out there—that's what it's all about. Oh man, one of my favorite things to do while we're out hunting is when a single comes in, and it's you know x person's time to go and we all sit there and watch him whiff all three times <laughs> and then the next person stand up and like oh don't worry fellas i'll make sure i'll clean it up for you and then whiff one or two times i'm glad that's not just my group no oh, no I that's that's it. every time even the most confident good shooter you know it's like dude you'll miss something at 25 yards but you shot that thing at 65 that you had no business killing as it was flying away we had a group come in, and if, if it's me and my buddy that I took up there with me, if it's him and I hunting there, you better get ready to shoot because the shot gets called as the first shot's going. Nah. <laughs> it depends what type of birds it is. If if we're hunting in our group and we're working honkers and somebody does that, they're going to be freaking kicked out of the hunt. But if we're working ducks... And there's a dang pintail that comes through. You best believe I'm calling the shot by standing up and shooting it. We did. We started a. I started it last year. Uh, my daughter came home from some carnival with this wooden whistle that had a wooden spoonie on top of it. And I took the spoonie off the top of that whistle and painted it. And I flocked its head and everything. And I put a little hole through it to where it'll fit uh, on a lanyard. And... Between the three of us, whoever shoots the spoonie's got to carry that on their lanyard. <laughs> so my buddy Justin that went out there with me, he's never met a spoonie he couldn't kill. And he had it for going on two years straight. And right before we went up to Arkansas, our other buddy Ryan shot one, and he ended up with it. But uh, I give him hell all the time, call him Hollywood or Bootlip. And one time we're sitting there, 
he tells us that he saw because we had been shooting pintails. He goes, there's three over the top. And two spoonies flew in, and he water swapped both of them while we're looking up. And I'm just dying laughing. He's the only person I've ever met that'll mess with us and tell us that there's ducks up top so he can smoke two spoonies off the deck. Yes, sir. I like it. Oh, trust me. I'll shoot the spoonie without thinking twice. I was down on the other end of one of the holes. We shoot a whole lot of wood ducks in. And I shot a drake wood duck and three drakes get up and go down towards him. There's three drake wood ducks and a hen spoonie. I hear one shot ring off and I was about to go walking back over there. So I called him. I said, what'd you shoot? He goes, I go, how many did you get? He goes, I got one. So what'd you shoot? He goes, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> he did not pass up on those three drakes to shoot that hen spoonie. He sure did too. Man, people like talk so much phone. trash on the spoonies. You have two schools of thought on the spoonies. You have the people that embrace it and the people that talk trash on it. And the way I look at it is, up here in Missouri, if you're going to kill a bird, it's probably a 90% chance it's going to be a mallard. So I'll shoot every spoonie I can find. Uh, I'll tell you right now, I don't care what it is. If it flies in range, it's getting shot. I, I'm not one of those guys that's a, I'm a mallard pierce. So it was, I'd shoot one duck a year. Right. One down here. I don't care if it's a ringneck. I don't care if it's a spoonie. If we call no fly zone because we hadn't seen anything, coot better hope it don't fly in front of me. Right? Yeah. Uh, I'll put a coot down. So you're down that south. What? It is the talk of the last couple of years. Flooded corn. Do you think that it is keeping birds up north? Uh, we're going to get on the hot cropping. The hot cropping. People, well, people down south get their panties in a wad about it when they realize that it's uh, 65 degrees in North Missouri and Iowa, and that's why birds aren't pushing south because it's not negative five like it's supposed to be. And they're like, I oh, do it's... not buy into it at all, zero percent. Dude, I. There's paid freaking groups that are trying to change it because they think. The, like the Flyway Federation, I'm probably saying that. We're probably going to get freaking all sorts of attacks now. But I ran across that the other day, and people legitimately think that that's why? It's people looking for answers when there isn't one. Cause it, it's people that it's have never hunted flooded anywhere. corn before. It's that, and it's so... Let's say we have five seasons down here where we're just, you know, laying them down. And then you have three bad years. Because there's no explanation for it, everybody's looking to, it's like the first thing everybody wants to do is blame Ducks Unlimited because they're just making all these sanctuaries up there and the birds aren't migrating anymore. Birds change paths. I mean, there's a reason they call it hunting and not killing. I mean, how many times have you gone and scouted a place that was full of birds the night before and you don't see one fly the next day? Right. That's just part of it. I mean, the hunting hadn't been what it used to be down here for years. But I don't think it's because of heated ponds. Well, it's because it doesn't get cold anymore. Yeah, it's heated ponds by the earth. It's going to be 78 degrees here on Thursday. Dude, on Christmas, my little brother lives in Tampa. It was warmer here than it was in Tampa on Christmas. I was like... Yeah, it's crazy. And people wonder why there's not ducks around. Like, it, it's freaking hot outside. I can wear a t-shirt and shorts. Exactly. There's a reason those birds go back up north in the summertime. They don't love it down here. They're not here year-round. 
we don't get them until it's so cold up there they have to come down here well yeah when their freaking water and food is frozen up and uh that's yeah. not a thing right now there's a big big arctic push that they're calling for this weekend that probably will end up being nothing but it could uh could make the final last week of week or two of the season be nice see and we've got some spots down here where you can go out there you know out on the bay in the big water you can go out there and throw a rock in the air and kill a redhead or you can go shoot your model duck that are resident birds that never leave here right but we've also got luxuries that other people don't have that you don't ever hear complain about down here like you can go out on the coast and go shoot a full plume blue wing kill in january oh yeah dude that's that's a bucket list bird (laughs) see and that's i'll probably go out at the end of January and be able to see, you know, five or six of them just sitting on a body of water swimming around. Yeah. You got to be out towards the coast to see them. You're not going to get them in the woods early teal. You're going to shoot a bunch of blue wings here, just like anywhere. But things like cinnamon teal, both my buddies I hunt with have one on the wall that they shot off the river where you're not going to really see a blue wing out there every now and then you will, but you got to go out towards the coast to get those birds. And, one of the hunting clubs I got invited to last year, the last day of the season, they shot tons of blue wing drakes, and I think they ended up with two or three cinnamons. So we've got birds that other people want to shoot down here, just because we don't have swarms of mallards. I mean, I love shooting greenheads, don't get me wrong, but I like shooting other ducks too. Just oh, yeah. As much. Dude, blue wing are one of the funnest ducks to freaking shoot into. Oh yeah, those little rice rockets—they sound like a fighter jet coming over you when that when they buzz you. Oh yeah, nothing will make you feel dumber than trying to hunt a blue wing. Oh yeah, that's down here. We got dove season open September first. Yeah, I tell people all the time. I love dove hunting, but I'm a duck hunter. I will go dove hunting every chance I get because it's right before duck season. And you want to talk something about a bird that'll humble you quick and get you warmed up before early teal? It's a dove. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I took one of my buddies. We were out on a uh, a goose and uh, duck hunt out in Colorado, and uh, we had been seeing these freaking rabbits running all over the place. And I grew up rabbit hunting. That's what I like doing. I had beagles growing up, so I like rabbit hunting. <clears throat> and uh, I was like, man, one of these days we have to come out here and shoot some of these rabbits, dude. They're everywhere. So we decided to do it close to the end of the trip, go out and get a a box or two of shells. And uh, my buddy, who I had been duck hunting with 100 days a year for five years, you know, like we hunt together all the time. I think the limit was six. This dude brings seven shells to go rabbit hunting. (laughs) Mind you, I have two boxes of ammo in my pants because I grew up rabbit hunting and uh, I hadn't Uh done it in four or five years. And I didn't have a dog, so I knew that we were going to be doing some fun shooting. So we get about, I don't know, 100 yards from the truck, and he's like, yeah, I got to go back and get more ammo. I was like, you only brought six shells? What are you, seven shells? What are you talking about, man? He's like, I didn't know. I thought this was going to be easy. I was like, yeah, no. No, there's nothing easy about shooting rabbits. I grew up hunting them, too, and I didn't have dogs or anything for it, but my first shotgun was a 20-gauge over twenty-two. Yes. It was a break open single shot, but I'd keep a twenty two round in there 
just for that rabbit that may pop out while we're out there either pheasant hunting or uh, goose hunting, which you couldn't pay me to go goose hunting with a freaking 20-gauge single shot. Now, that gun kicked harder than any gun I've ever shot. Yeah, no thanks. But yeah, I just had, had a little switch on the hammer where you could raise it up and shoot that 22 round out of the top. I shot a bunch of rabbits with that thing when I was a kid. Man, there, it's so much fun. Um, there's, you know, a couple different methods of rabbit hunting. There's guys that run, you know, 10, 15 dogs, and the dogs will chase and circle the rabbit. You know, this big, huge, mile-long circle, and the rabbit will come back, and they'll shoot him on the way back around. What my dog was, was uh, he was a jump dog. And basically what I would do is we'd be going through the woods and just kind of walking fence lines and stuff like that. And you'd see a rabbit, you know, a tail bouncing throughout the woods or something. And you'd call him over and you'd put him on the line and then he'd chase that sucker. Or what I really liked doing was going along to like brush piles. And uh, we would just walk around the edge of the brush pile until he caught a hot scent. And then he would just crawl on his belly and start going through the, you know, the thorns and stuff like that. And you'd hear him just, you know, opening up, going crazy. And then you'd see that rabbit bail out the other side, and you'd smoke him as he came out the other way. And that was, I loved doing it that way. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. <clears throat> I mean, it, it's not easy hitting them. No, it, not at all. You would never think, if you, if you haven't been rabbit hunting, you wouldn't think they'd be that difficult to shoot. No, no you but, see them in your yard everywhere, you know. <laughs> right, yeah. They are not. They don't run in a straight line, and they are quick. Oh, especially when they know that there's a dog chasing them. When it's humans, you know they don't get really too worried. But they know it's a, a life or death situation. They get real instinctful real quick. Uh huh. Yeah, I've missed my fair share of them. That's for sure. Absolutely. Well, man, we didn't really talk much about uh about call making, but that's all right. We uh we talked about the adventure. You know, this little trip that you just got back from. Um, I don't know. I still think there's more to the story, and I kind of like doing these little talks. We had a nice two-week break with the holidays and everything. I didn't even ask. Do you have a good holiday? I did. I'm glad it's over. I mean, <laughs> Me too, man. It's one of those things where you're. it's easy to get complacent and lazy more than anything, for me at least, when it's that time of the year. So getting back into the swing of things and everything that comes with the new year is always kind of a push to get back into a routine so i'm trying to get to that point now but yeah holidays were great i mean you get to kind of look back at your year and do some thought and what you want to do different going into this year and it's just a matter of taking it off of a piece of paper and putting it into motion yeah yeah absolutely man it's a it's always funny to set the goals and see what comes true because a lot of people will set goals and do nothing about it yeah, and that's one of the things I'm going to be pushing for this year. A lot of the shows and stuff I've missed because I've been so busy with orders. So I started with NWTF. I'm going to try and make sure I've got entries into each of them this year. It's one of the things that I've set for a goal for myself. Are you going? Yeah, I'm planning on it. I should be there. What? It's like the second week of February? Yeah, and they're starting on a Wednesday this year, I believe. I was talking to Ronnie about it. And I don't know why they changed the dates on it, but I'm planning on being there for that. Uh, I'm going to try and make as many of them in person as I can this year, but I'm also going to make sure that if nothing else, I've got calls that are going into it. I just put uh, my newest tone board that it's going to be the J5 in the mail today to go to Wade. 
You should call it the J three five because it's a three five. I should. I tell you what, I, I got. I didn't want to lose the top or the mid end of my current board, but I wanted more out of the bottom end. And I'm, I'm real happy with this one. So it's just, now I, I got to finish my cut down this year. That's one of the other things. The cut down on a hybrid. I've got. I don't know how many prototypes laying around my shop right now, but those are two things that one of my goals is to get at least one of those jigged and done this year uh, before hunting season starts back up. So that'll be something to look for that I'm going to be working on. Well, then, Other than, you know, taking the Chris Adams approach, I just flipped the barrel around and stuck it off in there. That's right. That's right. There was a big debate on that the other day. If you don't make it look like that, then it's not truly a cut down. Absolutely. I love that way that that cold metal band feels against your lips when you're barking at those ducks. Oh, yeah. There's nothing. It's like the Christmas story. When you stick your tongue to the pole, it just gets stuck. <laughs> a friend of mine that hunts with me, I, I made three how did How did I know that was going to follow up with the story? Any- <laughs> I'm telling you. So I made three whistles ever. One of them was completely made out of aluminum. This genius oh, takes God. it to Canada to go hunt <laughs> he said just sleet and snow i was like how's that whistle running he's like i don't want to talk about it like, why would you bring that <laughs> it's, it's, it's a bad idea man there's no way you could pay me to use an aluminum whistle in those conditions early season canada is a finicky finicky thing my buddy's been going up there for years and he's always been trying to get me to go up there when we were doing the show it can be 65 degrees or it can be freaking 20 degrees in you know september october time frame so he's like dude i bring more gear to canada than i bring all year round anywhere else light weather gear heavy weather gear you just never know up there you gotta prepare for everything yeah it's crazy man yeah we're swim trunks and freaking coveralls dude they then the people up there just do it so much different than here we've he's told me about it many many a times you know, up here, if you're hunting a field, that's the number one reason that most farmers, aside from like, oh, somebody else has this leased out already or some other nonsense, but it's not a problem in my area of the state. But uh, nobody wants you to drive in the field down here. Oh, we can't have you driving in the field. I don't want you tearing up my field. I don't want you tearing up my field. You go up to Canada, he was telling me the other day, and he's like, hey, uh, you know, I asked the farmer if I could go up there and if they mind driving in the field. And I guess the guy was like, why the hell would I care about you driving in my field? And he's like, uh, well, you know, like down in the States, that's kind of a thing. Like, we don't, I don't want to tear up your field. He's like, I drive a fucking 30-ton tractor in that field three or four times a year. You think I'm worried about your damn truck going in the field? And he's like, hey, man, I agree. I agree 100%. And he's like, Jesus Christ. And he's like, that's just the way it is down in the States. They freak out about it. Yeah, it's- it's always a different ball game when you get, especially into a different country. I haven't got to do it yet. Um, hopefully this next year I'll have some crazy Canada hunting stories. Dude, it is insane. I didn't go, but I edited the footage from when they went because I was doing our editing too, and it was ridiculous. Yeah, it's definitely it's something I'm looking forward to getting to get out there and try. This next duck season, it's one of the other things I'm wanting to do is travel a lot more get to go to different places hunt different places just getting to experience it getting on the road more so that's one of the other goals i've got going to this year i've got i need to 
write down a checklist so I can see how many of these I actually accomplished this year. Well, especially but, if you can turn where you're at, like, you know, go somewhere and set up for a day or two and, you know, still get your work done, but get to hunt at the same time, you know, and, and experience, you know, it's, it's not just, uh, going and hunting, but it's the whole experience of just being out. And, uh, I don't know. It's cool, man. Oh, absolutely. That and people get, it's, I mean, don't get me wrong, that it is a task to bring things with you that you're going to eat. And that's just trying to set up and do it. And then when you've got an audience watching you turn, you spend a lot more time talking about different things while you're doing, you're doing a lot more explaining, even if it's just down to blanks being picked out. Well, you're just in the shop working by yourself. Get you, load up a food truck, get Channing's food truck rolling on, throw your lathe in the back of it, and then you can do dinner and a show, charge per head. That's an original idea right there. That could be your own. <laughs> a food truck. A food That's truck. A bad idea. Bring Start back breakfast. Yeah, bring back tacos from down south. <laughs> you might be on to something here. I, I told those guys at Cypress Run if they ever need a live-in call maker, just let me know. Yeah, right. My shop up there. I'll just be up there 365 days. I don't know. I think I had my son up there for a couple days. They'd be ready to give me the boot. Yeah, no joke, right? The kids always are that final straw. <laughs> it's fun for a while, but uh, yeah, now they're bored. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, man, it's been fun. I enjoy doing these. Yeah, so brother. Want to do another one, and maybe we'll try and plan out ahead of time what you were wanting to get into with as far as call making goes. I know you and I talk all the time, so it's easy for us to just get off on tangents. Well, yeah, and it's, I don't know, man, with this format, I'm not even really worried what we get into. I just think, you know, there's always stuff going on. It's always cool to talk about, you know, especially with this big, huge trip you just took and the holidays being up. There's just lots of stuff to talk about, and people see the pictures on social media, and to actually hear you talk about it, you know, I'm sure people will enjoy it. Oh, absolutely. So that that was, hands down, one of the coolest experiences that I've gotten to be a part of is just... I couldn't be more thankful for even just getting an invite to go up there. You know, that's that's something that a lot of people get to see pictures of but don't get to experience. And that's where it's it's humbling to kind of take a step back and look at what am I getting to do and what I get to call this work. I mean, so it's not always glorious being a custom call maker. It's not something that, you know, that I think it's ever going to make me rich. But it's days and trips like that and experiences like that and the things I got to do and the people I got to meet, those are the days where it, it makes the other days worth it, you know? No, oh, yeah, man. wanting to go into doing this full time, I'm, I haven't been doing this very long. Well, I'm talking about doing things like CNC lines. There's still a ton of people who have no idea who I am. And I don't ever take for granted how quick I've, been able to go full-time doing this without ever setting out with intentions to do so so i don't ever take a day for granted that i'm able to do this or that i have people that want my call but at the same time you know i'm still cutting my teeth when you look at how long i've been doing this compared to guys have been doing this 15 20 years so it it's a struggle not to put the carriage in front of the horse sometimes so it, you're never done learning you're it, as long as you're open to learning i think you can learn something new all the time when i'm around other call makers i'm always picking their brains seeing how just something they do different than me 
Man, and, and I never take things for granted. I think it's just the right mindset, and I think a lot of call makers have that mindset of where, you know, it's really easy to sit back and be jealous of what somebody else is doing, especially if they're a peer or something like that. But I, I the right mindset, I don't know. The way I look at it is when I see somebody like you, you know, that's been doing it less time than I have or something like that, and they're really successful or somebody who started around the same time, um, you know, who started putting out stuff and that they're successful, it's motivating to me. It's not it's not a, something where you get jealous. It's like, man, look at them out there doing that. That's awesome, you know? Like, you put in the time, you put in the effort and the hard work, and that's where you get. You know, it's motivating. And I think that's where a, little, a lot of other call makers, you know, feel like, too. Even guys that have been doing it for 15, 20 years that, you know, maybe aren't the hot name right now, but they've already, you know, established what they've been doing and stuff like that. I think it's just fun watching somebody come onto the scene, do things the right way, and, uh, you know, enjoy success because everybody gets their moment to shine if they work hard enough and, you know, they're motivated and do it right. And uh, everybody gets their moment to catch crap. <laughs> and I've been on both sides of it. And I think that <clears throat> if you're a driven person and you've got the initiative, you can do a lot of things, but you've got to. You've got to be receptive. You've got to be able to take coaching. We talked about it before. I mean, the call-making industry is one of the most secretive. But there's a ton of guys that will help you out if you go and ask for it. And I think for the most part, if you're trying to do it the right way and you're trying to put the work in behind it and you're not just looking for a cookbook on how to do it or somebody to hold your hand, you're going to get the guidance you need. But a lot of it is you got to bang your head. I mean, you've got to. I couldn't tell you how many calls I've ruined. I still ruin them. I mean, it happens. That's part of it. it you, I learn far more from my mistakes than I do from my successes. And as long as you can have that mindset, I think anybody can be successful doing it. It's just you got to know what you're getting into when you get into it. No, right, right. It's not all glory. <laughs> no, it's not. And social media has got a bad way of making it look way more glorious than it is and I'm I put up a poster on Christmas about just that I mean we we work so hard to glorify what we do day in and day out and give the appearance that it's all you know always rainbows and unicorns when there's a lot of heartache there's a lot of stress more stress than I could even explain doing this full-time you've got to truly love what you're doing to get into doing this and try and be successful at it and I wouldn't even consider myself successful at it at this point i'm just keeping my head above water doing something that i'm passionate about doing can't please everybody all you can control is what you can control and try and be a good person at the end of the day that's it (laughs) you'll see how successful you were this year when april 15th rolls around april 15th tax day buddy deadline for tax (laughs) yeah that's when you really know (laughs) I might have to fire the bookkeeper. Right. <laughs> Better start getting your shit in order. Yeah, why'd you have to end it on that note? Right. <laughs> All right, brother. I'll let you get back to work. I know you got uh, money to make and calls to turn. Yeah, I got to get this laid spinning again now that it's back in the shop. Trying to get everything put back in order after the trip. But yeah, I'll be cranking them out today. Heck yeah, man. It's my one day off during the week, so I'm going to do the same thing. All right, brother. Well, you just let me know when you want to come and fuss at me again, and we'll set it up. 
Alright, man. Thank you guys for tuning in and uh, listening. Like I said, download the Podbean app if you want to listen to it. If you're listening to it, you apparently have the Podbean app. I don't know why I feel like that's important to say. Um, You know, I just feel like there's things that you hear at the end of podcasts that you're supposed to say. I don't really know what the fuck they are. But, uh, yeah. So, if we piss... This is Call Bros, isn't it? Call Bros? Oh, uh, the bro hour, I think. That's the bro hour. The, there bro, you go. the bro hour. Um, no, if you're looking for it, it's uh, Beyond the Blind Still. I, fuck, I don't know what I'm going to change it to, but I have a Facebook page with a bunch of, like, 10,000 people already on it, so I don't want to change it just because somebody sniped my name off of iTunes. But, uh, yeah, the bro hour. We're not going to call it that, but it, it sounds good for the moment. So thanks, guys, for tuning in. We'll see you again. <laughs>